Welcome to Centering, the podcast on Asian American Christianity. I'm your host, Irene Cho. This season, we're featuring guests with various perspectives on Asian American topics and the church. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to Centering, the Asian American Christian Podcast. I am your host for this series, Irene Cho. I am so honored to be a part of this very serious conversation that we have regarding Church Two. I am here this week with Aaron, who is currently a Fuller student in the Masters of Divinity program, who is almost done. Very exciting about her graduating and moving on to do ministry and really, really important work in the church. And so I'm delighted to welcome Aaron. Hello, how are you? Hi, thanks for having me on this podcast. Absolutely a delight. Erin uh, and I have been friends slash she reached out to me because it might have even revolved around male leadership in predominantly yeah. patriarchal immigrant church context and how we survived that. So we had a special bond right from the beginning to both vent and lament, try to figure out how to heal and survive. So our friendship really surrounded on deep-seated issues right out the gate. (laughs) Nothing frivolous Mm -hmm. from our end over here. So this week, I invited Erin because we thought it would be really important to cover this topic of what has now been deemed as hashtag church two in regards to the Me Too movement, which then branched off and started a whole other movement of young women and men sharing about their sexual assault and sexual abuse experience growing up in the church. It's a heartbreaking topic. It's a heartbreaking moment to hear so many, I mean, thousands of people coming forward, not just within the Catholic church, but really in so many evangelical churches as well. And so I think it's both shocking, disconcerting, and yet for a lot of us who have been a part of these conversations and who have shared in the quiet corners, in the quiet recesses, it's not surprising to us. And so when we started to really, when people started to really come forward and we saw the enormity of it, for those of us who weren't shocked by it, we wanted to really share what our experience has been. And then most importantly, what next? How do we move forward from this? And so Erin, I just want to start right off the gate. I would love in your words to share a little bit about why this topic is important for you, how this is a personal issue for you. We don't have to go into nitty gritty details, but yeah. I would love to hear just a bit of your story. Yeah, I think this topic is very important for me, not just in terms of thinking about a lot of issues of what does certain concepts that the church kind of makes us repeat over and over again that could actually be toxic and detrimental to our own healing process and also identity formation process, such as forgive and forget, have love and compassion or oh, be willing to submit for the sake of God or take up your cross. And some of these cliche phrases that I heard when I was dealing with abuse in the church actually made me internalize a lot of shame at the crux of my identity that maybe these issues are happening because there's something wrong with me. There's something inherently wrong with me being a female and a minister or that as a female and minister, a character development that I needed persistently was just to forgive and forget and to silence myself. So these have really tainted a lot of my own theology, not in the sense that I believe these doctrines, but in the ways how I practically live out my faith. 
in my day-to-day life or how I live out my faith in the context of community and the church. I think it has made me feel some great sense of acute isolation as well as shame, processing the different abuses that happened to me within the context of church and also a lot of the male leadership's voices that kind of made me think about it in a certain way that makes me automatically process all of these as this is just something that I have to endure for the sake of God, for the sake of God's kingdom, and for the sake of growing in forgiveness and compassion. So this is why it's so important for us to actually talk about these issues and address the severity of the injustices and also the rhetoric that surrounds that, that sort of actually, in some sense, like this is eating out our spiritual formation of who God is calling us to be, both as women and as the whole church, our identity as Christians, and all the other identities that ripple out of this. So I think it's really important for us to be talking about that. I, I love it. Oh my gosh, you said so many things. I'm telling you, right out the gate, <laughs> we're just diving into the deep end. It's so good. The forgive and forget line, It gosh, it, it's just so sadly prevalent. I would love for you to unpack... You know, when we move into these dialogues, I have these thoughts in which it it seems that the forgive and forget isn't necessarily centered on Jesus, who was unafraid to deal with difficult, complex, complicated situations. Mm-hmm. And yet the forgive and forget feels so bumper sticker surfacy. And mm-hmm. how do we as a church begin to make changes or what are some things that the church can do in the face of church too, to not Mm. simply gloss over and provide this bumper sticker, Jesus loves, so forgive and forget, Mm. thought, theology, Mm. as you said. Yeah, that's a great question. I think that, like you said, the concept itself of forgiving and forgetting is not wrong. If anything, that is actually a teaching of Christ. And that is a very important Christian value in the ways that God forgives us of our sins. But I think the context of which this is being said, and if it's asking of victims to forgive and forget, and if that's the role of the victims primarily in the topic of abuse, I think we have to kind of locate that phrase in a greater context. So part of the even cycle of abuse happens when that is put on by perpetrator or oppressor's voices to say, forgive and forget. And it's very a top to bottom approach. They're actually approaching it from the top saying, you at the bottom, you the abused must forgive. And it's almost like that's circling the very cycles of oppression of male dominance and of patriarchy when they tell the female survivors, you must forgive and forget. They're giving us another demand. And they're also telling us that this is their version of Christ that they familiarize, that this version of Christ that tells women to forgive and forget, women who have been victims of abuse to forgive and forget, this version of Christ is a version that they've theologized to liberate themselves of the guilt that they've had over the history of abuse and oppression in the church. So I think that's something that we have to address as a church. Like, what is the context of this forgive and forget happening? Like, where are we echoing these phrases? I love it. So if we were then from there, you know, you mentioned patriarchy and there there are elements to which complementarian leadership styles that are predominant in the church. 
in which it's very heavily male led because mm-hmm. the men are supposed to be ordained and anointed as the leaders. What can men do? Well, and I say men, but obviously all church members and leaders, but predominantly mm-hmm. men, um, what can they do to start to move forward into dismantling or even untangling from these patriarchal, you know, grasp, grips? Hmm. Yeah, I think the first step always is awareness, awareness of this problem and to be able to name the injustices, to be able to name that they themselves have partaken in the silencing of women or for condoning abuses through these type of rhetoric. And their awareness should also come with their responsibility to actually repent and admit that as a group, as male leaders in the church, so that um, so far, if male leadership in the church have always in some sense washed away and sanitized any history of oppression and male dominance, as well as the gender injustices, if that's been the perpetuative norm, I think it's about time for male leaders to actually name the issues. So awareness should always come with their repentance and their willingness to say, hey, this is how the church has been. And we're owning up to that. We're owning up to the ways that we've not given women voices and also the safe spaces to talk honestly about what they've been going through. We've not even given space or even been able to acknowledge that females have a very powerful voice in the church. And I think along with their awareness, their job is to constantly create more spaces um, to recognize that they not only have the power to speak up when needed, but some of their power comes with listening, deliberate listening. I love it. Which goes into my next question. I mean, and we have these discussions in race injustice dialogue. And I, I feel that this is also this happens amongst the gender issue, which the church too is very much a part of. Again, not negating that there are many men who also mm-hmm. have a church too story. Yeah. We talk about safe spaces. And I think that for me in particular, it has taken me a long time to even allow a man to ask questions as they are starting to embark on this journey. And how do we then, as the church, allow these spaces to exist for men to and leaders to begin to process and not feel, you know, burned at the stake themselves because they are needing to ask questions? How do we how do we provide that for hmm. men in the church? Yeah, I think this comes with like both sides acknowledging or at least committed to some type of ground rule as both sides enter into the conversation where men who are many times new to this conversation or not as informed about this conversation can admit first and foremost that they're not completely aware of what's going on, that they don't know everything, they don't know the conversation, and that they have so much to listen to and so much to learn. If they're aware of that, and if they can humbly admit that, I think that gives a woman the safe space to be able to say, hey, you know what? If that's where you're at, ask some questions. We're willing to have conversations about these because we can also acknowledge your awareness that you lack 
proper knowledge as of now where you're at, but we also want to honor that you have a desire to listen more and to learn more. And I think both sides can be able to sort of validate the very, in some sense, a little bit tricky position of them not knowing exactly what's going on and how some of their questions can even offend us or trigger us. But I think insofar as they're willing to admit that they really don't know, they lack the knowledge right now, and they need our voices. I think we could also honor their voices of questioning when they're willing to honor our voices as well. That's really good. I like that a lot. Kind of switching gears a little bit, but continuing on with this subject matter. In particular for you and I, our experience has been serving under male leadership in Mm -hmm. in Korean. We're both Korean American. So we've served in a Korean American church setting. I've had, I've had to work under people who completely have questioned my calling from God, who have doubted, who have devalued me. I've, I've worked under a supervisor who gave me an argument that women shouldn't be ordained because we have menstrual cycles. He literally mm-hmm. said that to me wow. and my colleague, our faces, wow. which is so astounding. I mean, it's baffling mm-hmm. to think that a woman would not be allowed to be ordained because of some archaic concept that a menstrual cycle is sinful mm-hmm. or uncouth or, mm-hmm. you know, unclean in the words of certain Leviticus, Leviticus commands or decrees. One question that we've talked a lot about has been how do we as Korean American women who love the Korean church, in particular love the Korean immigrant church, how do we manage through and thrive or survive in these church settings and not just bail and leave? I mean, I didn't, I bailed and left after that. <laughs> you know, I was out, but I know that I, I still love my people. And so how do you, as a woman who is still engaged and serving currently, like, you know, under complementarial male leadership, how do, yeah. what would be your advice and input on surviving and thriving in that kind of environment? Hmm. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is that I think I can kind of echo from your experience that like they had certain views about women in ministry. Like they had a very rigid expectation and stereotype of why women cannot function as a ministry leader Mm -hmm. because of whatever gender stereotypes are playing in the back of their heads. Um, And that's been the ongoing script that's been played over generations, over generations. It's both cultural and also generational. And mm-hmm. I think along with those voices, that those voices are something that we can't necessarily say we, they can be eradicated once and for all. I don't think I could ever, it would be too idealistic for me to say, oh, there's going to be a day and age where those voices are going to be completely gone in the Korean church. I think that's something right. that we should hope for. That's something that we should fight against. That's something that we should speak up against, which is why we're doing this. But realistically, to expect that, oh, I'm walking into church this Sunday, and maybe if I can call them out, all these uh, (laughs) preconceived notions about gender biases and stereotypes about females and leadership, I'm going to completely dismantle that this Sunday or in the next couple weeks or in the next couple months. Right. doesn't work that way. And I've had to actually learn that the hard way. You and I both had to learn that the hard way. That 
as much as we don't agree with what they're saying and also the oppression that comes with a lot of the things that they say about women in ministry, I think one thing is that would be healthy for women in leadership is that we have to acknowledge that these voices have unfortunately been some of the adopted to be the normative narrative in Christian circles, Asian American Christian circles, especially, especially Korean immigrant churches, that that's become the norm. And I think that also comes with what they think about female leaders should look like this. They have a set of lists that we cannot do, but they also have a set of lists that we're allowed to do. They just find those parameters and say, oh, you guys can serve as uh, youth ministers maybe and maybe work with children and you guys can do childcare or lead some women's ministry, but teaching men, teaching adults, mm, we're not sure about that. So and they youth set ministry the allowance is progressive. I mean, I was mm-hmm. the high school director and that was too much. Like I shouldn't be allowed. It's predominantly yeah. children. So allowing you to be a youth pastor is super progressive for them. Oh, and I have been told, even while I was serving as a youth minister in Korean church settings, they were saying, honestly, we're really worried because you're a woman and you're a female and right. normally males kind of have more of that leadership and charisma and they kind of right. define um, certain Christian characteristic traits yep. and prescribe them to men and women. And yep. they don't really take into consideration our personal traits and talents. The only thing yep. they really take consideration is our gender, which is very interesting right. how they've polarized these gender roles. And at right. the same time, I think as a Korean American woman, just like you, that's something that I could actively always fight against. Um, because Claude Steele talks about it as a stereotype threat. Like when we recognize that these stereotypes are in the room, that these preconceived notions about females in ministry are in the room, I think that could actually make us feel even more anxious, a little more antsy, mm-hmm. and become more sort of lacking in self-confidence when we're in ministry. So right. I think it's important for us to know that instead of thinking about the stereotypes and these roles given to us by these conservative churches, what would be our role if we're faithful to the person of Christ, to the ministry of Christ, and to the very specific gifts that he has given each of us? And our growing awareness of that would actually help us be more at peace that No, I acknowledge my gifts. I acknowledge my talents. And they don't necessarily coincide with the gifts and talents that the Korean church tells me that I have, which is, oh, you can work with children as a nurturing mother. But they don't always coincide. And I think I have to recognize the coexistence of these two voices, my own faithfulness to Christ and what he has given me versus these gender roles that the churches give me. I love it. Oh gosh, it's so good. And and I feel for folks who haven't gone through this complicated process. I mean, and I'm sure you would acknowledge, like I am constantly untangling and processing mm-hmm. and shifting even myself. I mean, I'm a little older than you. And mm-hmm. so having gone through women my leadership role during a time when the entire feminist movement really was or the second wave rather was embarking in the early nineties. It was very Mm -hmm. much about me getting myself masculinized 
Mm. so that I could fit into the role. Mm. And I was sharing in this one gender panel how I was so encouraged to see Wonder Woman shifting from when I was you know, in leadership, it was very much like, I'm going to own my sexuality, I'm going to define it, I'm going to be masculine, I'm going to choose. I mean, it was very much the like G.I. Jane, I can do a thing that a man can do, because I can Mm. be like a man. It was very much that mode. And Mm. so even my preaching style, the way that I speak when I'm up front was very, very masculine. And I was very much proud to be a tomboy. And yet you see this shift as you see women in leadership now embracing their femininity. I love Kathy Kang because she wears skirts on stage. She very Mm -hmm. much embraces her identity being a woman and integrating that into her leadership, integrating Mm -hmm. that into her preaching. And it's not a dualism, which was Mm -hmm. very much how I initially entered into the leadership role. And so I'm, I am continually processing how that's shifting my identity as a leader mm-hmm. who is Korean, who is woman, who is of this age, who was single and now newly married. Like these things, mm-hmm. trying to figure out how it integrates, not categorized mm-hmm. and separated out. And I, I do feel for a lot of folks where things shift as the dialogue keeps shifting because we're all journeying through this mm. and figuring out because we're breaking, we're, we're replacing the wineskin. And that means what does the new wineskin look like? What, you know, it's innovation. And that means a lot of questions need to be asked. A lot of processing needs to happen. A lot of dialogue mm. has to happen. Mm. And I love what you, you shared here. And I, I want to encourage those of us who are asking these questions and who are entering into these mm-hmm. conversations and leaders who are listening and who are encountering, you know, their congregants to not be afraid to lean into the difficulty, the complexities of this issue. Again, mm-hmm. as we talked about initially at the beginning of this podcast, we shouldn't, and I love being reductionistic, right? I mean, like sometimes it's mm-hmm. my oneness side, even though I'm a nine, it's my like wing when I fluctuate into a wing one on the Enneagram for those who don't know what the heck I'm talking about. It's very much like what's the bottom line kind of element, but really the church, we, we can't be reductionistic about it, right? It's not Mm. simplistic. It's not a bumper sticker, forgive and forget. Okay. We're all good. Sunday as Mm. usual, you know, let's get the band together and do the sermon. Mm -hmm. And so I think really we as a church need to lean into the complexities of our human stories, each person Mm -hmm. and their journey, what it means that you're a survivor, what it means that you're coming into these spaces with trauma, what -hmm. it means that you're coming into these spaces as a leader who is mentoring and guiding and the complexities of us being people as humans, that we're sexual beings, right? That we, we do have hormones and we have physiological needs and desires and fluctuations and, and all of that. And I think for us as a church, we've been wanting to avoid all of that. Mm-hmm. And we need to begin to shift into leaning into it and figuring out mm-hmm. what that actually means. Yeah, I think I really appreciated what you said about the church's response often being too reductionistic. Like we go to very easy catchphrases and easy answers so that we don't really have to deal with the mess, the complicated mess of going deep with the people's pain as it pertains to trauma or the church having to talk about the different things that happen within their own um, congregation, within their own sanctuary. I think 
That's why people like to go to the reductionistic answers because that way they don't have to deal with the mess. They don't have to actually wrestle and dive in and get all dirty with it. And I think that's something that's so important for everyone in the church to participate in because regardless of us sanitizing our own Christian identity or our church's image, every church um, is actually culpable for a lot of these violence and oppression done against women and often men too. I think that's something that the ministry, no matter which ministry it is, uh, is something that they have to actually recognize whether progressive or conservative. I think so often when people are very irked by certain things, they become very reactionary and this reactionary posture then gives way for a reductionistic answer. And I think this reductionism is actually constricting creativity. There's not room for people to recognize like, wow, there's a lot of different stories going on here. And there's a lot of different issues that we have to navigate. There's a lot of voices that needs to be heard. And we need the appropriate dialogue of different parts of our identities and communities to come together to deal with the mess that happens here. But so often out of a reactionary response, like, ooh, that's something that actually makes me feel unsafe or that makes me feel uncomfortable. So let's just immediately react and polarize the other side. Let's put people into nicely labeled categories and boxes. And when we put people into boxes, then we don't have to actually have dialogues about this face-to-face. Right. Women can say, okay, all men, they're scary. They're against us. They're abusers. We don't want conversations with them. Men can say, hey, you guys are out there to attack us. We don't want to talk to you guys either. And this reductionistic identities about one party is all this, this essentializing of identities is what actually takes away from the space where we can have constructive dialogues that needs to be taken place. So good. That's so good. And I, I think too, to acknowledge so many leaders, we are, they're tired. They're dealing with so many various issues, you know, with, their congregants, so much pain that happens. And so sometimes it's exhausting and I, I am compassionate for that. And so we close this session out. Thank you, Erin, so much for Mm -hmm. just your insights. So powerful. It's so profound. Um, And we want to encourage you pastors. We know this is a complicated issue. We know that there is a lot of work that has to be done, both reading and listening and learning Mm and sharing and shifting perspectives it's not just yours it's the whole church and like Mm -hmm. the system so we acknowledge that this is we don't want to be reductionistic and simplistic of just make a change you know and Mm -hmm. have an attitude like that yeah we want to acknowledge the complexities of what it means Mm -hmm. to create change within your own congregations Mm -hmm. as you come into awareness that you know women need a voice women ought to be invited to the table like things Mm. new wineskins need to be you know Mm. given and created i think it's important for us as the asian american church to also be willing to listen to different lgbtq asian american christians and their experiences and stories of gender dynamics and oppression in the church because this conversation we deal predominantly with the female victims of abuse, uh, sexual abuse, and also what can male leaders in the Christian church can do to re- in response to that. But I do think that it'll be important for us to also give room and space for LGBTQ Christians to also chime in to this conversation and share their experience.
experiences as well. Absolutely. Such an essential part of the conversation, which again, being compassionate to pastors, I it acknowledging that it only makes the subject matter that much more complicated because mm. we're talking about so many folks who identify in various different ways and are on this journey of discovery and healing. So definitely something that we need to nuance and expand as we dive into these subject matters. So thanks so much for bringing that up. Really important point. With that, Erin, do you want to have one last input or advice on to leaders as they're listening on how we can move forward and what some mm-hmm. next steps would be for church two to be healed in our churches? Yeah. Um, I think I want to close with this for both females and males in the church. I think for trauma survivors, as well as allies who walk alongside trauma survivors, it's very important to people to recognize their agency. This includes their voice. This includes their willingness to invite other voices to speak. But I think females and males need to recognize both their own vulnerability and power, as well as the other's vulnerability and power. Because we are complicated human beings, and even our social dynamics are very complicated and like we've been talking about, we don't want to be reductionistic about this. I think even trauma survivors, though they are vulnerable in the church, and that's something that everyone can sort of be aware of and admit, yeah, they are and have been vulnerable in the church. But at the same time, they also have power. They have a very beautiful voice and they have an important story to tell and they have a very invaluable piece to offer. To church leaders, male leaders, and female leaders. So as well as they are very aware of their vulnerability, I think it's important for us to encourage them to be aware of their own power. And even as we're aware of the dynamics of the whole gender dynamics that does partake in churches and so often not in oppressive ways against women, I think it's important for us to also recognize that there is vulnerability, but there's also power in women's voices. And that's why it matters that we continue to speak up. But it's also important for us to recognize that male leaders and also other male figures have been vulnerable to different lies, to different cultural stories and narratives that kind of attack their own insecurities and their own needs to feel like I have to protect myself. I have to protect my male identity. I have to protect the system. And they also have been vulnerable in some ways yep. to that type of insecurity and shame that makes them become even more, in some sense, aggressive towards that toxic masculinity. Yeah. So I think it's important for us to recognize that both sides have invaluable gifts and power, and both sides are also vulnerable towards different cultural sins. I love it so much. Thank you, Erin, seriously, for your time and your insights and your wisdom. Please don't forget to join us next week on Centering with the Asian American Center podcast Mm -hmm. as we continue to dive into these extremely difficult and complex topics in regards to the Asian American church and community. This is Irene. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Erin, for your time. Thank you. We'll see you next week. We're all about community at Centering. We invite you to join the conversation by sending your comments and questions at centeringpodcast at gmail.com. 
Also, be sure to visit our website at centered.today for a list of other shows and resources. This episode is produced by Jason Chu, edited by Carl Catedral with music by Mark Redito. I'm your host, Irene Cho. And above all else, we want to remind you that God embraces all of who you are.